Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and his rotating cast of company members here on ESPN Las Vegas, KWWN Las Vegas. Live at Bar Canada inside the D Hotel and Casino, it's Cofield and Company. And some people are just like, they don't take it seriously. And it, here's the thing when I took the fight, I said, number one for the money. Shut up and take my money. Yeah, you heard it. It's Cofield and the company live from Bar Canada. No Steve Cofield today. B-team rolling out here. John Von Toll will fill in for Cofield. Adam Candy will be along shortly. We got a lot to get to today. But first off, coming out, I'm actually going to be out here till 8 p.m. today, just hanging out, me and Angel. A lot of the games, of course, start about two hours from now, full slate of NBA, really good NBA card, which we'll get into at some point today. Major League Baseball, of course. Have one game already in the books, but Bar Canada is an awesome spot to take in all the action. And the best part about Bar Canada, too, by the way, uh, I am, what would you say, Angel, 12 to 20 feet away from a sports book right now here? Of course, Circus Sports right next to the bar here at Bar Canada. A lot of options for you if you want to wager on the games, you want to get some drinks. It is really one of these premier spots to sit back and kick it. So make sure you come on down. Oh, and by the way, National Hockey League, right, from Bar Canada. So, come on down. Again, we're here until 8 o'clock. But it is a big day. Outside of actually established sporting contests, we are rapidly approaching one of my favorite days of the, of the year, ever. That would be the NFL draft. Round one, of course, is absolutely fantastic. The draft itself is, is really cool. And for those of you who probably know a little bit, if you've listened to me throughout the years here on Cope and the Company, I do enjoy the NFL draft. Adam and I talk about it all the time. And, Enjoy the little intricacies of it and talking about who's going to go where and what are smoke screens and what aren't. Minor draft nerd I am. So I enjoy the hoopla that leads all the way up to the first, second, third, fourth round, fifth, sixth, seventh. You get it. But today was a big day because Trey Lance had his pro day today. And, um, well, I should say put Trey Lance had a great pro day today, I guess at least. By some accounts. Second pro day for the uh, quarterback out of North Dakota State. All accounts were relatively positive. You do get some of those footage, you know, those 15 to 20-second clips of Lance putting out uh, a lot of great throws downfield, some of them in slow motion as I watch one right now. But the difference here is, and it's funny because we get all these pro days, and, and for those who don't really follow the betting market a lot, you get a lot of movement before and after pro days for a lot of these key guys when it comes to the NFL draft because you get a lot of news coming out of these pro days. And whether it's like the other day where Justin Fields holds his second pro day, Kyle Shanahan's there, John Lynch is there. They, of course, reportedly the 49ers asked Justin Fields to throw some specific routes, work on some specific things that the 49ers do at practice to see what they could do. And he, they, Shanahan and Lynch, had a long conversation after Fields' second pro day, which thus caused a massive flip for the odds to become the third overall pick. Justin Fields, the odds on favorite afterwards at minus 130, minus 140, depending on where you look. Mac Jones behind him and potentially at even money. And then Trey Lance at plus 375. Well, the San Francisco 49ers were here at this pro day today as well. And we didn't see a lot of movement in terms of the betting odds, but there is rumblings. And again, we get it after every single pro day that Trey Lance is now, of course, Potentially the guy that the 49ers are looking at. 49ers are looking at all three guys. But what this means going forward and watching this kid play, like I'm really intrigued to see where this kid goes. Not only because if he goes to San Francisco, right, the draft starts there, 
But Lance, by all accounts, is a really intriguing prospect, right? Josh Allen-esque, massive arm, ton of athleticism, very raw. What is it, two games, both at the uh, FCS level in the last calendar year? Haven't seen a lot of them. But what he has and what you could potentially make him, oh, my gosh, it could be absolutely incredible. I'm not going to pretend, though, that I actually went through all the pro day footage and got to tell you exactly what you saw. But the, th- the telling thing is, is that we didn't see a lot of movement in this one. Now, there are rumblings, and if you look, I, I work at VSIN, Michael Lombardi, our own, uh, put it out there that it's not Justin Fields at number three. It's either going to be Trey Lance or it's going to be Mac Jones. There are a lot of people who believe it could be Trey Lance for the San Francisco 49ers. You roll out Jimmy G for another year, and then you go from there. But regardless, I am excited. I will watch these slow-motion clips over and over and over again. Actually, there was, there was one I was watching, and he rolls out to his left, Trey Lance. You know, play action, rolls out to the left, th- running against his throwing arm, fires one downfield. I'd say like, like 30, 40 yards downfield. It wobbles a little in the air. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he doesn't have it. Maybe he doesn't have the arm strength. It's, it's so ridiculous how intricate we get with breaking down some of these slow-motion clips. But I will say, I did bet on something involving Trey Lance. His uh, draft position prop here at Circus Sports is 6.5. It's shaded to the under. You can get about uh, plus 125, plus 115 uh, in that range on the over 6.5. That's where I went with Lance. I mean, I, I think there, the sky is the limit for this kid if he finds the right system. But if you look at the way the NFL draft is breaking down at this point right now, right, in terms of the top picks, Jacksonville, the New York Jets, San Francisco 49ers, one, two, and three. I believe it's Justin Fields at number three. I bet him to go at number three. So you get three quarterbacks going at three, and then you get the gray area, right? The Atlanta Falcons at number four. Bengals aren't taking a quarterback. Dolphins aren't taking a quarterback. Detroit Lions, number seven, the wild card there. Lance Falls. Carolina, and then Denver. Those are your top th- uh, top nine selections. But, again, over six and a half, meaning that I need them to go seven or higher, and I think that's going to be the case. Cincinnati Bengals are either going wide receiver or offensive line. The Miami Dolphins are a team that I think is in desperate need of offensive line help as well. And the Lions could either go wide receiver or offensive line. Carolina could need an offensive lineman as well. So while Trey Lance at one point was a hot name and a hot commodity, it does seem like he is, I put in air quotes, sliding down the boards. Keep in mind, there's never any sliding. Guys are always where they're at. It's just breaking down the draft, media reports, and reading between lines. But regardless, big day today for Trey Lance as he looked pretty well, and really not a lot of negative coming out of the pro day, too, which is what you see a lot of as well, right? Bad 40 times, didn't throw very well. By all accounts, relatively solid in terms of Trey Lance's pro day. Now, we also got some solid news for at least one program, the Gonzaga Bulldogs. How about this? Chet Holmgren, number one overall player in the country, number one prospect in the class of 2021, has committed to Gonzaga. That's announced earlier today. Mark's View program now set to enroll its highest-rated high school prospect in history for the second consecutive year. Think about how good this Gonzaga program could be, right? Holmgren's going to go. Some expect Matt Norlander, who covers college hoops, says he expects Timmy to return. So you get Drew Timmy. You get Chet Holmgren. You could have Timmy and the potential number one 2022 NBA pick and Holmgren on the same court together. And just like Steve and Adam were complaining about right the entire time, how people thought, oh, man, you never know when Gonzaga's going to get back here again in terms of the national championship, even though Sweet 16s and national championships have become regulars 
regularities, I should put it that way, if I could speak English properly, for the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Well, they land another one here. And as Steve has noted, the favorite to win the national championship next year, Gonzaga. Safe to say the Bulldogs are going to be able to compete for another national title this coming season. I think they'll be just fine. But it's a massive get. And, you know, I, look, I'm a big NBA guy, right? So love watching hoops. It is amazing just from, like, the purely visual standpoint. Angel, I'm going to show you a picture of Chet Holmgren. And you tell me if off the bat you think this kid is the best basketball player in the country as a high schooler. <laughs> because it is amazing. His body type. This kid is slender. He looks like he weighs about 90 pounds, but he's a phenomenal shot blocker. He's got some athleticism. He can shoot. He looks like, by all accounts, a great player. He's got to add, like, 60 pounds. But he's a really good player, man. And it is incredible. <laughs> like I said, there are, they're high schoolers. This kid's just coming into his body in his prime. But it always makes me laugh, the, uh, the stark contrast between college players and then you get to the NBA fully grown. And by the way, think about it from this perspective, too. That kid in a year is going to be up for the number one overall pick in the NBA draft. And then, like two years from now, if he's not performing, we're like, bust. Like, the kids, it's a child. But regardless, Holmgren is going to go to Gonzaga. It's a massive get for the Bulldogs, obviously, and what they're able to do. So, coming up in about, uh, we'll call it like 15, 20 minutes from now, we're going to talk with John Morgan, lead staff reporter, MMA junkie, host for MMA radio show. But I, I was hooked this weekend. I was absolutely, I got, I I swore up and down that I wouldn't do it. When the fight was announced, I called you all fools that you were actually thinking about signing up and watching this fight. But sure enough, guess who signed up and watched the fight? I did. Ben Askren, Jake Paul, I was in. When we come back, we're going to talk about this because there's a lot of people, I guess there's like this conversation around this topic. Like, oh my God, this is ruining boxing. And I would argue that not only could this save boxing, could Jake Paul be the savior of the sport? Hanging at Bar Canada inside the D. It's Cofield and Company. Yeah, company takeover today. No Steve Cofield. No Adam Hill. John Von Tobel filling in. Adam Candy alongside now as well. What's up, buddy? John Von Tobel. I am excited, man. Let's do this. You're excited, huh? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. You're you're a professional. It's, it's, it's a Monday afternoon. What's not to be excited about? It's the best day of the week. That's right. Best day of the week. One of the best spots in town. I am very excited, too. Uh, we'll get to why in a couple of minutes. But uh, it is really cool to see the city. I always, I've said this a couple of times now as we've kind of opened up a little bit more, but it's, it's always cool to see people teeming about, as I think I use that verb properly, about town and hitting up our wonderful city and spending their money, essentially. Always good to see. So, speaking of spending money, Adam, Many months ago, I laughed, I chortled, I scoffed at the notion of YouTuber Jake Paul putting a fight together with former MMA fighter Ben Askren. (laughs) I said, you're going to buy it? Okay, good luck. All right. They got you fooled. You're going to waste your money. You're all morons. Except for me. Actually, I am a moron. I I bought the fight. I watched. I didn't want to do the free thing, Adam, you know what I mean? I didn't want to be a pirate. I wanted to do my part. And so I ultimately watched and, uh, oh, I purchased and watched the fight. I I watched two. I watched the mere fight, and then I watched the main event. You had no interest, correct? I mean, you know, if someone had said to me, here's your free link, maybe. 
Yeah. But no, at the cost of my own money, no, sir. But I'm, I'm very curious to find out what you thought about your value. So I, I think, well, so I've really wrestled with this in terms of the value for what I purchased. I've ultimately come to the conclusion that I'm an absolute idiot, that I should not have spent my hard-earned money on that fight. I did not tell my wife that I purchased the fight because she would have been very angry with me. Um, I wasn't really happy with myself. Like, I actually felt legitimate anger at one point while I was watching what ha- was happening, and I was like, I can't believe I spent money on this. But I think there's a lot that comes, like, from this topic, and there was a lot of fascinating things from the broadcast itself with consummate pro Al Bernstein on the call among some, um, let's just call them characters, Oscar De La Hoya and Snoop Dogg, Pete Davidson, some other people that I had no idea who they were, but they were commentating on the fight. I think it was... Uh, Who's the Saved by the Bell guy? Mario. Mario Lopez. Mar- Mario Lopez was on the call. Uh, it was absolutely uh, just a who's who, a smorgasbord of stars. So you could talk about the production and the crappy camera angles. We could talk about, you know, the sport of boxing itself and all of these things. And that's kind of what I wanted to get into, Adam, because we could explore the production and the funny side in a little bit. But I saw a lot of after the card, right? Oh, man. This is ruining the sport of boxing. John McCarthy, Josh Thompson blasted the Jake Paul, Ben Askren stoppage, uh, said this over the weekend, uh, quote, on their podcast, this type of bleep is not going to sell, and if it continues to sell, this is where boxing is headed. Total bleep show. I feel bad for the real boxers out there. So let me ask you this, Adam. Stuff like this, first off, do you enjoy boxing? Like, are you a boxing guy? I'm not a boxing guy, but in terms of the big fights, like if you're going to sit me down for, you know, for Mayweather or Pacquiao or, you know, these days, uh, you know, Fury or Wilder, yeah, absolutely. Because, like, I'm, I'm not a boxing guy. Like, I've been out of it, and sometimes I, like, play the heel a little too hard. But, like, I think, box, I think boxing is dead. I think it's irrelevant. Like, I, mixed martial arts has by far taken first place. It's the only thing I'm interested in. I watch free cards for UFC. I will watch every numbered event promotion. For the Ultimate Fighting Championship, I dabble a little bit in Bellator and the other uh, the other outlets, but like boxing, no interest whatsoever, none. And so my initial argument would be, while you say this is bad for boxing, I would respond with what boxing has done is bad for boxing, and for the first time ever, while I regret it, you got me to spend money on boxing. Is that not a positive for the sport? At the point that the sport is. It needs to acknowledge what it is today instead of what it used to be. Because talking about it as it's going to ruin boxing, I mean, man, you're watching a ship that is two miles off the harbor right now. <laughs> right. Because that, that is long gone. If you go and look at Nevada history and you look at the top ten grossing fights over the course of the history of this state, six of them are Floyd. So one person essentially propping up the sport. Two of them are Canelo and Triple G. One is from 1999 between Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield, and just one from last year, Fury and Wilder. Like, it's gone. It's gone. And so if that's what it takes, if Jake Paul and Ben Askren is what it takes for someone to watch boxing, then maybe it's time for the sport to evolve. Yep. And and I think, too, like, so I said this when we were going out before you came on with us, and I say this facetiously to a certain extent, but instead of talking about how this is going to ruin boxing and all this stuff, I think I can make the argument, Adam, that Jake Paul could actually save boxing. That Jake Paul, the YouTuber, could actually be the savior for boxing, right? Because production value aside, circus show aside, everything that they put together, right? To get somebody like me 
who actively rails against the sport of boxing to tune in. And I get it. I didn't tune in for the sport of boxing. I tuned in to watch Ben Askren's like, dad bod match up with Jake Paul and to see if he was even going to last more than two rounds. But am I wrong in thinking that, you know what? Jake Paul has some sort of fame behind him. He clearly has enough backing to get names like Snoop Dogg and the like involved with something like that. You want my wild idea here to save boxing, Adam? Do it. And if Jake Paul wants to get rich, by the way, Jake Paul needs to start his own promotion, a legitimate boxing promotion. Set it up like Bellator, like the UFC. Have your divisions. Fight for one freaking belt. Every time I hear about a fight, it's a unifying fight. I don't even know what's going on with the belts anymore. Get in there. Do something and try to start something and say, hey, you know what? Come over here. Because if you if we can all get this together, I'm popular enough. We can promote this. We can get this out there. Let's do it. That's my that's my plan to save boxing. I got one word that I got to pick and say, tell me what that means. And the word in there that you got to define to understand where this could go is legitimate. Right. What what do you what do you, John von Tobel, saver of boxing, define as legitimate for Jake Paul to put together? His own promotion. Actual actual boxing prospects, right? Not Frank Mir and Ben Askren and whoever the hell was fighting on this card. And I'm not going to pretend like I know the card up and down and who was fighting, right? But legitimate boxing prospects to put together some semblance of a promotion where you actually have competition. And, like, competition where you know you're fighting for something, right, legitimate. Right? You, like, the UFC is kind of... T- dove, like tailed off right into making the entertainment fights. You know, for example, we're going to get Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier, three. Nothing really on the line. We just want to watch them fight three times. But there's still these divisions. There's still these titles up for grabs. We have one coming up this weekend with a, with a tremendous amount of title fights on it that is absolutely great, right, where these fighters have actually fought for the spot to compete for these belts. Like, something like that. Like, I, I just feel like if you put that together with some legitimate prospects – and you put everything under one umbrella where it's not this ridiculous hodgepodge of promoters fighting with one another and, and holding back fights that we've all wanted to see because the money's not right or whatever it is, like you could have a legitimate hand in not only saving the sport but getting yourself rich. You look back on Mayweather-Pacquiao and how many years we wanted the fight and then what the fight turned out to be. And, I mean, we're looking at six years ago at this point, right? Still by a long shot the highest grossing fight of all time. But... You took the two biggest names of the sport, and you took the fight everybody wanted to see, and for a wide variety of reasons, you kept it from happening when everybody wanted to see it. That, by definition, to me, seems like a sport intent on blowing itself up. Mm -hmm. So now we take for what it is today, and I look at it like the same way as, you know, you know, my background's in newspapers, and newspapers were a primary news delivery method for a number of years, Mm -hmm. until the point at which there was a more immediate way for people to consume their news that didn't require them to wait till the morning and pick up something in their driveway. And news kind of looked at it like, newspapers looked at it like, oh, forget it, come on, who's going to trust a blog, right? And, and then newspapers ended up on the 20-year decline that they've been on right now. And that, to me, is kind of the same way I look at boxing and MMA. MMA has evolved out of boxing and it has become the preference of a lot of people. I'm not an MMA guy myself. I don't dislike the sport. I just don't seek it out the way you and a lot of other people do. But 
at some point, you have to acknowledge this is the appetite now, and you have to find an audience that becomes yours. You can't fight for the audience that went from boxing to MMA. That's over. But you can find your own audience, and Jake Paul, the YouTube star, clearly has found a way to make his own audience, and maybe that's the way that you can go to bring someone in. And so if you're talking about creating a promotion, I think it still has to have some of that circus element to it, don't you? Yeah, no, 100%. I mean, look, it's part of the reason why they attracted me to watch this card, but that added on top of, right, if I get Snoop Dogg, right, after a boxing match, screaming, give me my money over and over and over again, but it's also a legitimate boxing match between two up-and-coming prospects that are actually fighting for a singular title. Like, that, that's something that could be, real, I think, really successful, right? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's the, like, the millennial way of thinking, but I, I just, I think that is, I think you're right. It could be a perfect mix. I mean, look, I mean, the UFC kind of has that, right? I mean, the UFC kind of has some madness to it where you have these guys calling each other out cage side, where you have, you know, and granted, Connor's blow-up, multiple ones, uh, were relative, pretty inappropriate, but you have some of this circus show on the side on top of still being a legitimate promotion where these fighters are under the umbrella and fighting uh, for one singular title. And it's easier, by the way, too, and that's the other part of it, just easier to keep track of everything these guys are fighting for and where these guys are out if you're under a singular promotion. So I would agree with that, and I just laugh. I do. I, I laugh at the notion of people kind of wringing their hands over, oh, my God, how can you do this to boxing? Boxing did this themselves, bro. Like They, they totally did. They, they completely did this to themselves. I was talking with Jimmy Vaccaro the other day on VEASAN, Adam, and we were reminiscing about the great fight nights, you know what I mean, like here in Vegas, you know, having fight cards on. Like he told me, like, on Wednesdays outside of Caesar Palace and how, how popular those cards were dude, and where boxing was. Dude, this is, I mean, this is what I grew up with in Vegas. I yeah. moved to Vegas in 1989 in the, in the absolute heyday of Tyson, Holyfield, and Lennox Lewis. Like, this was it. That was it. You got the outdoor ring set up at Caesars, fan man, biting the ears, and, every, and like these were the things that captivated the world. These were the things that everybody came to. It was the lead story on Sports Center. I remember exactly where I was the night that Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas. Exactly. I will never forget it. And there's not a single moment like that that the sport of boxing could give to me right now. So I have to say it's over. Like that day of what it was is over. All right, so we'll come back. Uh, we're going to keep on. There's a lot of themes, I think, that are stemming from this, this Ashgren-Paul match. Uh, let's get the MMA side of things. John Morgan's going to join us, lead staff reporter, MMA junkie. Uh, we're going to talk about Ashgren, uh, the, weird, the, you know, the weird stoppage, Ashgren's performance, you know, him coming into this not seriously whatsoever, uh, but also a very big fight card coming up this you know, weekend, UFC 261. We'll discuss that and much more with John Morgan when we come back here on Copeland Company live from Bar Canada. Hanging at Bar Canada inside the D. It's Cofield and Company. All right, back live at Bar Canada. John Von Tobel filling in for Steve Cofield. One of the best spots in town. Come and check it out. I like coming here. I usually, usually come here on Thursdays. Hang out, grab a couple drinks. Game starting about an uh, hour and a half from now. So make sure you come down and say what's up. And I'll uh, be here until about 8 o'clock. With that, let's continue on. Adam Candy's with us. Uh, let's discuss uh, much more coming out of this, uh, you know, Jake Paul, Ben Askren fight, and also a big card coming up this weekend, UFC 261. John Morgan's with us, lead staff reporter, MMA junkie. John, I would appreciate the time today. So uh, let me just start with this because obviously there was a UFC card going head-to-head uh, with the boxing match. Uh, how much you took in of the spectacle that was the Askren-Paul card and what you thought of Askren's performance with the uh, early stoppage? Yeah, I'm going to be honest with you. One of the first times I've ever been cage side at a UFC event, and I had a stream pulled up on my computer and I actually had an 
an AirPod uh, in one ear so that I could listen to it. So I, I watched pretty much all of it. Uh, you know, of course, during key moments in the UFC action, I had to, you know, turn my attention fully there. But uh, it, it was a scene, man. I'll tell you what, it was crazy. But, gosh, man, the traffic that it generated for MMA Junkie and USA Today, I mean, the numbers were off the charts. Obviously, we're seeing it in the pay-per-view buys as well. So uh, say what you will about the quality of the action that took yep. place in there. Uh, it moved the needle, that's for sure. So what what'd you make of, of Askren himself? Because it's when they did the weigh-ins, and you know, I saw him and you know, didn't exactly look like he was in fighting shape. It seemed like uh, he was in there and he knew exactly what he was doing, wanted to get some cash, show up for a fight. I, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised. I saw a lot of negative comments about Askren, but what would you make of just the way he approached it? Because I thought it was fairly obvious the way he was approaching it. Yeah, listen, I don't want to take any knocks on Ben Askren. I'm happy yeah. for him. You know, the guy is, is, is put in his effort in, in mixed martial arts and, of course, wrestling, and he's still coaching kids. And, you know, good on him for cashing a big paycheck. I mean, that's amazing that he got done. But, yeah, you, you did wonder how seriously he took the whole situation. You know, he, when they did a press conference at the Venetian, you know, a few weeks back and, and talking to him then, you know, I kind of wondered how much he was really putting into this, how much it really meant to him. And, you know, yeah, kind of when you look back in retrospect, you think, wow, you know, for Jake Paul, like this was like his Super Bowl. You know what I mean? This was everything. And Ben Askren was going in there thinking, ah, so, you know, it's kind of a little sparring session, that sort of thing. So, you know, when you put the fact that Ben Askren wasn't known as a striker anyway, and then you wonder how much he really cared about the result. You know, he knew he was getting his paycheck no matter what. Um, it, it does kind of lead you to wonder how motivated he really was for that. But, you know, look, at the end of the day, I mean, we, we knew what we were getting in terms of Askren striking. He was open uh, and honest about it. And uh, he got clipped by a younger, bigger, stronger, uh, more talented striker. Yep. So we were talking, John, like right before you came on, kind of like there's been a lot of hand-wringing, right, about like, oh, my gosh, this spectacle, how could they do this? Look what, box, like, look what they're doing to boxing. This is ridiculous. My argument was boxing's kind of done this to itself to a certain extent, right, with the holding back the fights that we want to see. Like myself, I'm a big MMA fan. I like watching mixed martial arts. You cannot get me interested in the boxing match to save my life, except for when it's Jake Paul and Ben Askren, you know, meeting up in a ridiculous spectacle, and then I bought the fight and I was watching it. When it comes to the notion that Jake Paul is, uh, for lack of a better term, an embarrassment to boxing, where do you stand on this? Because I, I'm in the camp of, like, well, you might not like it. If boxing is unhappy about it, boxing has to do something itself. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, if it gets people to tune in, that's a good thing. Now, what you do with those eyeballs while you're there, that's totally different. Here's the problem with the Triller model. Is it's not like they can come back and do another event this Saturday night. Yep. And I think it's okay. You know, if they want to do a quarterly kind of musical concert party, you know, the, you know, you can say what you will about the broadcast vibe itself, and obviously I think there's criticisms there to be levied and just the way the thing was done, but look, it was irreverent, you know, it was, it was a different way, it, it certainly moved the needle, um, and it stands out, and you know, it's, it, listen, at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about combat sports, you can take some chances with it, you can have some fun, I've, you know, for years, for, for 15 years, 20 years, I've been hearing people say, oh, uh, is this bad for the sport, is this terrible for the sport, like, listen, that's, that is not a type of, you know, display that I want to see every Saturday night. But to do it once in a while, who cares? Lighten up, have a little fun. So how much – I was seeing a little bit of the topic, how seriously do we take Jake Paul the fighter? How much have you actually watched of him in, in his game as an actual fighter? Is this something where he's 3-0 and now? Are, are we going to have legitimate conversations about Jake Paul the boxer? I think it's too early for that. I mean, yeah. listen, if the guy wants to keep working at his craft and taking it seriously, then – you know, perhaps he can, but he really hasn't fought anybody at this right. point. I don't mean to take it away from Ben Askren. I mean, I'm not trying to erase his mixed martial arts credentials, but, you know, if, if you go back and watch his MMA career, it consists of absolutely zero striking whatsoever. That's what I thought was always interesting about this matchup is it didn't really prove anything about Jake Paul. Now, what it did do was open a heck of a lot of doors for Jake Paul because now look at every, I mean, you got every mixed martial artist on the planet 
putting their hand in the air saying, let me be next. I want to get a piece of this. You know, let's do it. And, and, you know, he's talking about a fight with Conor McGregor, which seems absolutely absurd. But what happens (laughs) if Conor McGregor loses to Dustin Poirier this summer? Are there any real big fights out there? I mean, you can always go back and do McGregor and and, and Nate Diaz 3, of course. But, I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, this is starting to look more and more realistic. So it's funny. You know, what what we learned about Jake Paul is he's every bit the draw you know, he pretended to be. As far as what we know about his boxing skills, I still don't think we learned anything at all. Yep. And, and I would say, too, uh, there, there is no, because I think there's a lot of, like, hey, MMA, the crossover, hasn't gone well in two big events. Uh, it's a completely different realm for these guys. No damage, I would think, to the MMA uh, persona, right, that, hey, you can't cross over to boxing. It's a completely different sport. Yeah, I completely agree with that, and I think people lose sight of that sometimes. You know, you, you, know, you know the MMA space. You know, they're yeah. protective of their, of their yeah. brand, and they want to make sure it doesn't look bad. But there's a reason that all these crossover matches are happening in a boxing ring and not an octagon, because these boxers know, Jake Paul knows, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't last around with, with a mixed martial artist. So let's look forward to this weekend while we have you here. Uh, one of the uh, cards that I'm extremely excited for, everybody should if you're an MMA fan, UFC 261 coming up on April 24th, Jacksonville Arena. So headliners, Kamaru Usman, Jorge Masvidal. But I want to ask you about the event and the fight that I am the most excited for, Whaley Zhang versus Rose Namajunas. Give us some analysis into this. You know, we got we got Whaley probably about a $2 favorite. Am I wrong in thinking, like, look, I love Rose Namajunas as a fighter. She was great. Uh, I love watching every single thing about her. But Whaley is on such a different level with her striking that I think there's a really big gap between these two. Am I wrong in that assessment? I, I don't think you are. I mean, listen, we love the character of Namajunas. We, we love who she is as a person. And she does have the capabilities to do special things. I mean, we saw – what she did against Yoanny and Jacek. And I think that's what a lot of people are leaning on and saying, you know, at one time, you know, Yoanny and Jacek had this kind of aura about her. Um, but I do believe that the, the Zhang is on a different level at this point, man. I mean, now, of course, look, 13 months since she's competed. Uh, she's had some, some training situations like everybody has. I mean, I guess if there's ever a time to, to try to get this challenge and maybe take advantage of some, you know, difficult circumstances, that sort of thing, maybe it's now, you know, and, and how will people react to everything? We'll see. Um, but I, I, I think that line is indicative of their skills. I really do. So when you've watched, and the last time we saw Nama Yus, by the way, it was the win over Jessica Andrade. I thought in the third round, Andrade started to get things together. She started landing in some shots. When you look at Nama Yunus in terms of the path to a victory here against Wei Ling, what is it? Yeah, I, I think it's got to involve grappling, to be honest with you. I don't think she wants to set up a kickboxing range. I, I, I don't think she wants to be in that kind of fight. Yes, she's a great striker. She's very slick. Her, I mean, she is fun to watch. She is so technical. Uh, she's really brilliant in what she does. And I don't think she's you know, completely overmatched on the feet, but I, I don't think that you necessarily want to be in those positions. And I also don't think you necessarily want to be underneath Zhang either you know, in these grappling. Yes, she has great grappling as well. So to me, it's going to be about creating transitions, creating scrambles, and, and maybe trying to grab a, a submission. She does have some great abilities. You know, we've seen you know, flying arm bars very early in her career. I mean, she has the ability to do things in, in very quick moments. I think that's what the key is, is going to be. I think it's going to be something reactionary that she sees in a moment. All right, welterweight main event, uh, Kamaru Usman, of course, uh, Jorge Masvidal. So what changes this time around? The obvious excuse for Masvidal took it on short, uh, short notice. Uh, Kamaru Usman just pushing him up against the cage, wearing him down, stomping his feet. But what changes here in this second round? Well, you know, this is one of those interesting ones because sometimes, you know, well, short notice, it's a little bit of, a, of just a built-in excuse, as, Ma- as Usman has been able to say. The reason he wants it again so that Masvidal doesn't have that built-in excuse. Stylistically, I don't think a whole lot changes. I mean, these fighters are who they are. Uh, they're well-rounded, but at the end of the day, Usman is about the grappling, he's about the control, and he's about pushing the pace. Meanwhile, Mazidal is about power, and he's about landing one big shot. The problem was, you know, when he came out in that first fight, he did come out throwing hard. I mean, he was throwing some big shots, you know, some big kicks to the body. and I mean, he was landing to things. 
But after the first round, he was done. I mean, it was clear this was a man who stepped in on a week's notice, flied halfway around the world, and cut 30 pounds while he was in quarantine. I mean, it was just clear. Um, overall, I'll be honest with you, I mean, I still favor Usman in this fight. I just I favor Usman over every other 170-pounder in the world right now. I think he's operating at that high level. Um, but the reason this is intriguing is now, um, you know, Masvidal has five rounds, not five minutes, in which he can be dangerous. I think that's what makes this uh, uh, more intriguing the second time around. How much has Usman, in your mind, improved as a striker? Because, you know, we've seen it a little bit. Uh, we've seen him stand, I think, was it the Covington fight where he was rocking and socking and it looked pretty good. And I think at times, you can speak to this a little bit better, John, where we see fighters, as they improve as strikers, kind of lean on it a little bit more because they think they're getting better. I think Ronda Rousey is a really good example of that. You know, she started to stand up quite a bit more in the later parts of her MMA career. Is there any danger of Usman getting baited into that kind of a fight? Yeah, that is the danger. Now, whether or not he buys into it, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think Masvidal is able to get under his skin as much as he might have hoped. I mean, that's, that's the play here. If you're Masvidal, right, you use this entire fight week to just keep turning the screws a little bit and, and to get under the skin and use the face-off, use every bit of psychological warfare that you can to try to make Usman so mad that he wants to teach you a lesson by knocking you out because that is not Usman's path to victory here. Usman's path to victory is doing what he does best, and that's grappling, and you said it. We've seen countless examples over time. It feels good to knock people out, you know, and you do it the first time, and then you think, oh, I, I got this. These hands are amazing. That is not the path to victory here for Usman. I'm not saying he can't win that way. It's a mixed martial arts contest, and he is getting a lot better in his striking, but that is what opens up the biggest opportunity for his competitor to capitalize as well. So Usman needs to make sure his mind is sharp, and he is a strong-minded individual. Um, I, I think he can survive the, the psychological warfare test here. Um, he, to answer your question, yes, he is better at striking, but that is not how he wants to try to win this fight. So the third, you know, the, after the co-main event, we give Valentina Shevchenko, Jessica Andrade. I, I never want to look past about because we don't know what's going to happen, so I will ask you about this first. You know, Valentina Shevchenko has won six straight. She's been pretty pristine throughout these six fights. What is the matchup here for Andrade? Because Shevchenko seems to be at the absolute peak of her game at this point. Shevchenko is just technically brilliant to me. I mean, her and Amanda Nunes are 1A and 1B on top of women's pound-for-pound talent. It's almost a shame that you compare them because they're in different weight classes, so it's tough, you know, the, the history that they have together. But she is technically just so sound in everything, on the feet, on the ground. So you said it. It's, it's really hard to pick against her. But I am intrigued by this because what Andrade brings to the table is power, and that's power in her hands and it's power in the grappling department as well. I mean, uh, you know, the, the slams, the drives, uh, the shots that she can throw you down on your head. I mean, she's got it there. So, you know, Jessica Andrade, the exciting thing is she doesn't need to beat you for 25 minutes. You know, she's one of those fighters that can be down four rounds going into the fifth and still she's still dangerous. She can still finish you. So it is intriguing from that perspective is that Valentina Shevchenko is going to have to be on her game. She's not going to be able to, to take any breaks mentally because it's so she can get caught uh, with, with a powerful shot on the feet. She can get slammed on her head. Um, Jessica Andrade has the capability of changing things in an instant. However, uh, it's just a tough assignment. You know, it's like picking against Demetrius Johnson in his prime, picking against John Jones in his prime, picking against George St. Pierre in his prime. It's just Valentina Shevchenko is operating at that high of a level right now. So with that, when is it happening? When is it happening, John? I have been waiting for a long time for Nunez Shevchenko 3. I thought I, they, they fought a, two really good fights, both extremely close. It needs to happen, right? Is this happening or not? I think so. I think they're running out of options, right. to be completely honest. I mean, that's, that's all it boils down to. And like I said, it, it's a shame because Valentina, you, you said it, they're great fights. There's just such a size difference between them. Yeah. So she has to take that challenge. But the bottom line is there's nobody for either one of them to fight at this point. I mean, Nunes is fighting Juliana Pena, and, and, and that's, that's a great fight. Juliana Pena's got some skills, and she's going to – you know, she could put it in some interesting positions on the ground, and she's a great fighter, so I'm not trying to take away from her. But, again, it's just, it's just hard picking against these incredibly elite-level fighters. So 
yeah, you know, I, I, it, it's got to happen pretty soon. There's just there's just not much left for either one of them. Yep, John Morgan again, lead staff reporter, MMA Junkie host, MMA Road Show as well. Check that out, John. Thank you for the time, man. Really appreciate it. Always a pleasure, brother. You got it. All right, we'll come back. Uh, we have a lot left to get to. We're going to get to good times with Mr. Sunshine out of Candy. I feel great. You want to know why, huh? The microchip is in, my friend. I am fully inoculated, and I am ready to go. It's Cofield and Company live from Bar Canada. It's Good Times with Mr. Sunshine. Brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Prioritizing people over profits. Live from Bar Canada, JVT filling in for Steve Cofield, Adam Candy alongside as well. All right, I'm done. Adam, I will no, no longer uh, bogart the time talking about Jake Paul and Ben Askren and the card. I was very fascinated by it. We'll get to the funny stuff later. Again, I will tease that there was a two-second clip during that fight that I think perfectly summed up the entire entire spectacle. And it involved Al Bernstein. That's what's we'll, called a tease in the we'll business, get, folks. We'll get to that. It's good. And potentially marijuana smoke. Uh, all right. Good times. I do feel good. So I got my second shot uh, yesterday, Adam Candy. No, Saturday. Got it uh, Saturday morning. Uh, I will say, I either have something terrible going on with my body or I'm very lucky. Didn't didn't get any of the famed symptoms that, you know, are being bantied about with the second dose. You know, got a little tired later in the day, but ultimately feel pretty good, feel very lucky. And I'm okay. just happy. All right. Very happy. Okay. Now, did you have a reaction to the first shot? No, nah, just a sore arm. Okay. So just basically, like a dead arm. You're, no, you, sir, are one of the lucky youngins. The, the younger you are. Okay. The less chance you're going to have a reaction to it. Like I'm, I'm your elder, but not by that much. And I had kind of like a day of chills, and you know, just sort of like get under seven blankets, and it doesn't do anything. You drink a little uh, orange juice with some water. Yeah, uh, vitamin C in there. Ten percent orange <laughs> juice. About ten percent. No, no more than that. Wouldn't want to throw it out of balance. Um, and then I, I realized afterward that the more people I talked to who were. Um, you know, more of your age, like they weren't having huge reactions. So I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just anecdotal evidence that doesn't mean a damn thing, but um, I'm glad to hear it. I feel free. You know what I mean? Like I want to walk up to any one of these strangers be like, breathe on me. I'm fine. <laughs> I will say the feel-good story about this is not the fact that, you know, I was lucky enough to get a shot and, you know, feel somewhat safer and everything that's Humble going on brag. in the pandemic. Um, I think the feel-good thing is, and I brought this up numerous times, but I think this is very much worth noting, Adam, that the the people who either volunteered or nationally, anybody who was helping at Cashman the two times that I went, if you're listening to this, you've done a brilliant job. It was such a smooth process. Everybody was friendly. You were in. You were out. It was, I thought, a very pleasing experience for something that is relatively serious. So I just want to say I think kudos to everybody who was involved with putting that together and getting those shots out to people and shots in the arms because I think you all did a phenomenal job. You know, last time I was on with Cofield, this is exactly the segment we did where uh, Jeremy was down at the convention center was shouted out for his outstanding work, uh, making Steve feel welcome. And I'm glad to hear that it's not just a one-person experience, that you had the same thing going on as you went down there. I got my shots at a Walmart pharmacy, so it was just sort of like – you know, kind of make make your way past the greeting cards and. I mean, Walmart shaky already. You know, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I was back in my old neighborhood, uh, back over by like Trop and Pecos, back where I grew up. 
Um, and like, I was just sort of like looking around corners, like, am I in the am I in the right place here? Like, is this the is this the spot? And you go up to like this little DMV window, and there's just a person waiting there. Like, uh, hey, is this the this the COVID nineteen shots? Oh yeah, yeah, come on down, go go sit over by the eyeglasses, and uh, we'll, we'll call you in a minute. So they throw it like a dart at your arm, like, yeah, man, we're here. here. Uh, they, it's crazy. They actually painted a little bullseye, and then they came out, and they're like, come on, whoosh. Are you a looker? Do you oh, look I'm at a, the needle going in? Oh, is that what you meant? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, according to the ladies. Uh, but, yeah, um, I am a, a very clear and dedicated non-looker. I explained that to both the pharmacist and to the young man in the hoodie who came out to give me my shot. Uh, and just was like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to be looking. No big deal. And, you know, you feel a little prick, and then you're kind of waiting for, like, all right, you know, when do you feel that little horse needle thing going in? When's it going to get bad? And then it's over. It never gets bad. It's just like, dink, and you're done. It's the exact explanation I gave to my two-year-old child when he had to get a flu shot. Don't look, buddy. It's okay. Yeah, and if someone had said that to me, if someone had said, don't look, buddy, it's okay, I probably would have reacted the same way. Like, I don't trust you. So I ran an experiment. First time I looked. Second time I did not. Okay. I wanted to see what the difference was. Mm. And I have to say, the second time, I felt it a lot less by not looking. She was like, yeah, you'll, hear, you'll feel a pop, and it'll be all done. And then I was like, Are you, is he going to pop? Like, I didn't realize. There is the danger, though, they don't give you a shot, right? They, they just lie. You're not looking, and they don't give it to you, and then you just walk away. What do you think they do to hurt your arm, though? Like, because you feel something. Just pinch like, it? Like, like, they, like they reach over, like, Grandpa. Like, you know, they, they, they like, put the thumb between the two fingers, and you're like. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. There's a corner behind your ear. It's a long time when I used to pinch people like that. Remember that? Right? Yeah. 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 That's probably exactly what they did. You mess someone up, uh, you know, you mess someone up doing that if they're not paying attention. So, yeah, maybe that's the game. Maybe that's like, you you wonder if that's how they did the trials for the vaccine? Like, they actually injected some people with the vaccine, but then the people who were in the control group, they were just like, come here. They pinched them. It's pretty good. Yeah. Now, if I were to give in a placebo, if I ever found out, I would have beef with the lady who gave me the shot. You hear that, Maureen? All right? So just know that. If I find whoa, out, whoa. I'm coming for you. I don't whoa. know if that's her name. I just made that up. I, I, uh, yeah, uh, names change to protect the innocent. That's right. Uh, uh, also, an intricate segue, beef, because Kevin Durant might have beef with Russell Westbrook again. So, I don't know if you saw this. Kevin Durant appeared... Hey, there's so many podcasts out there. But, again, another podcast appearance by Kevin Durant, who has very strong Twitter fingers, very strong Twitter fingers. Um, and he was asked, Adam, to name the five best players that he played with. I will let you listen to this, and you tell me what you hear. Top five players you ever played with? Um, Kyrie. Mm. James. Who? James. James. Mm-hmm. Harden. Steph. Steph. Clay. 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 It's good. It's good for Mm. you. One more, Kevin. You one more. Yeah, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go um I'm gonna go Serge Ibaka. Damn. (laughs) Damn. I thought somebody else was gonna be from LA. So I'm just so I forgot somebody? (laughs) To me, I thought you was gonna say I ain't even going. (laughs) Okay. So there's a couple of things. That's a perfectly timed, damn, that's, it, it was brilliant, right afterwards. He obviously doesn't name Russell Westbrook. Here's the thing. I am very much, like, I, the, the whole media, like, media's out to get us is overblown. 
this is an this is a case of the media is out to get Kevin Durant. This clip was tweeted out, Adam. The next 15 seconds, he's reminded of Russell Westbrook, and he goes, oh, yeah, that's my bad. Yeah, Russell Westbrook, for sure. Now, do we look into the fact that he forgot that he played with Russell Westbrook? Potentially, but it's a very misleading clip to just put out there. Potentially, I think, is the right word. Um, <laughs> because the amount of time it takes you to get from your number four player, Clay Thompson, to your number five as Serge Ibaka, it, it, like, it, it's clear in his mind. He's got four guys, and he's like, these are the best guys I've ever played with, right. like bar none. And then he's sort of like, all right, well, uh, let me think through tier two for a second. Like, who do I uh, – like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this guy was our number four in OKC. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> Serge Ibaka. Like, and, hey, Serge Ibaka is a really good player. It's not to denigrate Serge Ibaka. I feel like Russell Westbrook's a slightly better player than Serge Ibaka, though. I'd rather have Serge Ibaka in a fight, but, like, in basketball, I think I'd rather have Russell Westbrook. I think it's a fair assessment. Um, you know, this uh, this moment on there where he's like, oh, I forget somebody? That is just brilliant. <laughs> that is right there. Like, like, he's waiting for someone to call him out on the Ibaka thing, and he's like, oh, oh, was that me? Did, did, you know, Urkel style, like. Did I do that? No, no. Yeah, yeah, you did. You absolutely did that. So, in the second hour, I have a discussion to have with Adam Candy because, Adam, your New York brethren are at it again. Zion Williamson is the target yet again. And I have to make this clear for you, Adam, for you and everybody you know. Nobody wants to go play for the Knicks. <laughs> 